thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com. Hello and welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast with Janelle. I'm your host for today's conversation, and we're continuing in our powerful COVID-19 Global Pandemic and Beyond series, The Hallways of Home. When I originally had the idea for this podcast, it was really centered around my clients in my private practice, the Heartlift practice. They would leave from a session, from an intensive, and I would be like, oh man, we should have said this, we should have talked about this. There just tends to always be so much that seemingly needs to be said in a session. But most of the time that would just flood the client and myself. So I thought, why don't I create this overflow space? This space that they can connect between their sessions and continue growing and doing their inner work. If you've been in traditional counseling or therapy or even spiritual direction yourself, you know that the time between sessions can sometimes feel like eternity. And so I have found now that it is expanding beyond the walls of my private practice. And that just makes my heart so very happy. So if this is your first time, welcome. If it's your 20th time, welcome back. And if you would, be so kind. Would you please leave a review? Subscribe, of course, to the podcast and leave a review. I'm on Spotify, Google Play, Google Podcast, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes. Just leave a note of reference for someone that they too can find help between the difficult places of their life. So in the hallways of home, we have talked about a lot of things. Season three has been all about how to move through a global pandemic. What do we do when we find ourselves in an astonishing, perplexing, and for all of us, most of us, a a first. I've never been told I have to stay home. I've never been told I have to wear a mask. And as of Yesterday, the governor of my state, Virginia, has now mandated that we must wear masks in public places. I just came back from running errands and every time I put that mask on, yes, I think of the frontline workers. Yes, I think of those who have lost their battle to this horrific virus. And then I get frustrated I don't like being muzzled. I don't like being told what to do, I guess. And I don't like having my my voice, my mouth covered. So we have just tried, I've tried to choose strategic topics that I thought might be very helpful. So we started with talking about resilience and spiritual resilience, rest, radiance, which all came from a a powerful study I did quite a few years ago, actually, about 
Remarkable Living. It's still available on my website in the resource section. So you can get the videos and more content and the handouts for that if you really want them. We went into talking about what a healthy family looks like because we were forced to come home. We were forced is most definitely to shelter in place, to, um, yeah, to have social distancing where we had to be six feet away from someone in public. We had to not congregate in groups bigger than 10. Um, churches were closed, etc. So that in and of itself is going to cause distress. For some, of, for some of us, more distress than others. Because as we've discovered, we're all really busy. We rush from place to place. We have a million and one activities, especially if our children are in the home. And even if we're grandparents, you know, there are a million and one activities as grandparents. And so that is going to make us have this space, a very uncomfortable space. And in my six intentional strategies for surviving and staying sane during COVID-19, we addressed this as disordered attachments. We have all of these things we put our time and attention to, and many of those things we hide behind. We hide behind them in our marriages, we hide behind them in our parenting, and most of all, we hide from ourselves. And so a great deal of the work we do here on Stronger Every Day in our community, our online community, and here on the podcast is we facilitate and educate ourselves and empower ourselves to be able to move through life from our essence, our God-breathed identity, and not our personality. Our personality is how we've learned to show up for life with all its coping mechanisms and defense strategies. Excuse me. So we kind of shifted into what is a healthy family and how do we create a safe home? How do we create a hush hour? One of the big phrases that have come from this pandemic is, wow, it's, it's no longer rush hour, it's hush hour. There's been no traffic. We did Alexio Divina, a divine reading, a contemplative practice for that hush hour that you could uh, do as a family when you sit in your circle of trust. We talked how to be safe parents. We talked about those quarantine quarrels. Yes, the anatomy of yelling, the anatomy of repression. And then we gave ourselves some self-compassion because we had a lot of hard conversations, which we do here in this community. I was once told, Janelle, you're, you're just called to handle the tough conversations. You're a 911 friend. You're a friend who is good to have in a crisis. Not sure I received that well back in the day, but I totally get it now and embrace it fully. So today I wanna to talk about a topic that has been coming up repeatedly in the past few weeks as I've talked to clients in my virtual client sessions uh, via 
Zoom. And this topic is autonomy. I don't think we talk about it very much because most of my clients had never heard the, heard the word. And I know a few years ago, I hadn't either. Especially when I was researching for my current book, Overcoming Hurtful Words, Rewrite Your Own Story. Because a huge part of that book project for me was cathartic. I am an Enneagram 2, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, and I am a social subtype. And so I get lost in my life and I don't really know where I end and the other person begins and I don't really think about my needs. And I do all that out of a very shadowy motivation because I want people to like me. In fact, I want them to love me. And if they don't love or like me, then I'm devastated and I feel like I have no value, worth, or dignity. So a huge part of my cathartic writing during that time was to find my way home to my true essence. And in that, I discovered that I really didn't know my voice. I had to find my voice. And in that search, I equated voice with value, that my voice is my value, that God has given me the capacity to communicate and speak with words. And so it's vital that I understand the third chord of our threefold chord in our Stronger Everyday Community, which is how to have healthy communication skills. And that includes my verbals and my nonverbals. So a big part of that coming and finding your voice is developing this incredible psychological capacity called autonomy. Defined, it's a fundamental psychological choice. Key word here is choice, my friends. Wow. Rather than feeling pressured to act. So a very big part in overcoming hurtful words was, why do I think the way I think? Why do I act the way I act? Why do I talk the way I talk? Why do I perceive the way I perceive? Because honestly, I'm always honest with you here. I really don't think I... Somewhere along my journey of life, I lost the capacity to think for myself. I'd say it started probably in middle school. Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty confident, strong elementary student. And then somewhere along middle school, my father's drinking got worse. My brother and sister had gone off to college. I was left alone in the home with my mom and dad, dad alcoholic. Then he left and went to Okinawa for two years. And so there was just a, just a very um, foggy time of my life as well, but I was really lost and I don't know what happened to me, but somewhere I lost my sense of autonomy, my belief in myself and started allowing peer pressure to really do a number in my life. I met a couple friends, particularly one close friend, and I kind of just let her lead the way. And so when we take the word autonomy apart in the Greek, we have autos, A-U-T-O-S, which is self, 
And then we have nomos, which is law. So basically, autonomy is self-government. Now, I was trained in the as a teacher, an elementary teacher. It was a providential invitation at the age of 24 in my right before my first year of marriage to teach at this, we would now consider it a charter school of sorts. It's a private school. And they used a very different curriculum called the principal approach. Each subject taught in view of God's providence, his story. And it was based on seven principles, individuality, self-government, Christian character, conscience, government, local self-government, and political union. So that principle of self-government really struck me deeply. I can remember it. That was so, so many years ago. But the way I would explain it, how I was taught to explain it to my students at that time who were first graders, because we studied Jamestown. I live in Virginia, first Jamestown settlement, 1607, first um, settlement here was, you know, if you go to Colonial Williamsburg, if you've ever been there, and I'm sure in your area you probably have something like this, I'm not sure, but you have stockades in the middle of the community where men were put there to be on public display, you know, their heads through a hole, their hands through a hole, and then they lock them in, and everybody can look at these men who could not govern themselves. So I would teach my children, if you do not, my students, if you do, and my children, if you do not govern yourself, if you don't learn how to self-control, right, practice that fruit of the Spirit, self-control, then other people are going to govern you. And our prisons and our jails are, are examples of that. And so we have these rules and regulations and laws in place to help govern the society and keep it civil and So it's really important to understand when we think of autonomy, autonomy is that capacity that we have, that psychological choice that we have to be self-governed, to be independent, to not need anyone else to pressure us or tell us how to think or act or speak or be. Well, somewhere uh, then further along in my journey, where I was really lost was pretty much my first year in college. Mom and dad dropped me off, right? And I'm like, who the heck am I? I have no idea. It was really a gripping year in my life. The first three years of college were really gripping. A lot of things I'm not proud of, but I have faced them and offered myself now the language of grace and not the language of shame, which I'm write a lot more about in my next book, Stronger Every Day, which is coming out in December of 2020. So when we look at autonomy, sometimes autonomy can be a bad thing, right? We don't want to be too independent where... Oh, there go all my papers. You know, I always have a lot of those. (laughs) We don't want to have too much autonomy. We do not want to be so self-independent. Is that even a word? We do not want to be so independent. We don't need anyone. 
We don't need community because we understand the power of community and that healing happens in community. None of us have been framed by God to be an island. No man is an island. We are not, we are not in our DNA functionally built to prosper or live a meaningful life in self-isolation. So autonomy uh, can also be considered the freedom of self-determination. You know, it's where we control our life. We don't have to ask somebody, can I run a marathon? No, you just run the marathon. Now, of course, if you have a family, you want to cooperate with your husband or your wife and your partner and you want to make sure, you know, you want to have this interdependence, this healthy, beautiful uh, atmosphere in the home where each person has the individual freedom to grow and, and prosper in their own way. And then the end of my college uh, career, I became a, a follower of Jesus. And that came through a broken engagement with um, a young man who was, was very much... Um, I feel like I, I lost a lot of my voice in that relationship just because I wanted a little bit of love so badly. And I knew in my heart he wasn't the right man for me, but a little bit of love was better than no love at that time. I didn't know any different. And so I lost my voice quite a bit in that relationship. And then I, I came to know Christ through the beautiful friendships of several young women that were placed strategically in my classes and in my sorority and in my pathway. And I discovered this beautiful relationship that I could have with a Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus and then the power of the Holy Spirit. So that was a huge shift in my life. It was a huge faith shift for sure. I grew up Catholic. I had a great appreciation for God and for uh, the liturgy and for the sacraments, but I came into a personal relationship, I guess, my last year in college. And then from there, I, I think I got even more lost. So just bear with me here. I'm getting to a really strategic point. I got involved in smaller churches that were were modeled upon the New Testament church that we read about in Acts 2 and in Acts but they were very controlling and it was a situation where I would have to go to the pastor if I wanted to date someone. I would have to go to the women in the church if I was um, going to get a new job. I, there was this mm, scaffolding in place, do you want to call it that? Or this hierarchy in place where, and boy, oh boy, I really, if I pinpoint, I really lost my capacity to make my own choices. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that. Um, or maybe you're there right now. It's not an easy subject to talk about, as you can tell. And I didn't have the aha until many, many years later many, maybe even the last five years. I don't even know. I, I guess maybe in the last decade, I've been coming more and more and more um, awake 
to who I am as a person, my true essence, and my thoughts and my, my voice. And now I know who I am. I know whose I am. I belong to a God and I belong to a family of God that celebrates me, celebrates my uniqueness, celebrates my voice, wants to hear what I have to say. And I want to hear what they have to say. And I don't have to go to anyone to ask for permission to get a new job or to travel outside the country or, boy, as crazy as that sounds now, that really was the case. And so autonomy has become a table pounder for me. Something I really want to be sure that every person that is in my sphere of influence understands completely so that they know their thoughts, their mind, they know their value, they know their worth, they know your dignity. Autonomy is highly necessary, highly necessary for personal growth. We have to have time, freedom, space to nurture our souls. Yet too much space and too much time, like we were saying a few minutes ago, too much independence is destructive because then, we've, then we're not teachable. So you see the, the tension in this, this conversation. We want to have this wonderful sense of interdependence, which involves community, of having really supportive circles of trust, circles of friends and family, where there are no secrets, there are no eggshells to walk on, there is acceptance and accountability. And if you need to know more about that, just look back into our past seasons where we, we have laid this beautiful new scaffolding, this new hierarchy of how to have beautiful, healthy, meaningful relationships with one another from the smallest in the family to the eldest because every person in a family has a voice and has value, worth, and dignity. They're allowed at the table. They're allowed to speak their mind with love and compassion. They are allowed to be part of the conversation. Sorry for that ding. So this all points to, when we have a conversation about autonomy, about interdependence, about independence, we cannot have it without taking away all the layers because it all comes back down to a healthy sense of self. So you see how deeply integrated, how entwined our threefold cord of emotional health and wellness is that we have to have a healthy sense of self first. That's the first part of the twine of the rope. And then we tie in the behavior patterns and then we tie in the communication skills. So we're coming from the inside out. We're moving from internal to external because that's how we do things. So when we know who we are, that's our sense of self. That's that secure attachment we talk about so much. That when I've had a safe house that I've grown up in and I've had safe caregivers and I know that when I have needs, they're going to be met. 
I am confident. I don't have anything really to worry about when I have had a secure footing given to me. Now, I didn't have that, and you know that. I have had an anxious, insecure, insecure attachment, but I have earned my secure attachment, which is a, a beautiful gift that God allows for us in our inner work and in our transformation to become more like our Christ is that we can become secure. We earn that by doing um, and living the healthy, beautiful principles that he's given us in his word. When we have a healthy sense of self, we can't or won't fulfill the needs of another human. I can't, I, I just can't do that. I cannot fill and meet every need that my husband has. It's ridiculous for me to think that I can. Who do I think I am? I'm not God. I can't meet every need of my children, even though I tirelessly tried to do so when they were younger. Of course, when they can't speak or, or move or when, when they're infants, when they're preschoolers and toddlers, you know, yes, I, I am going to meet every one of their needs as, as much as I can so that I can give them that sure, secure footing. But we have to know that a very big part of a healthy sense of self, one who develops autonomy, is knowing that we are not God, we are not going to meet everyone's needs, and that we are going to be human and make grave mistakes sometimes. We're going to be imperfect, but we're going to practice until we make progress in our journey. So I wanted to read a beautiful piece from Penn State by a, a woman named Katie Bone. Bowen or Bone, I'm not sure how. Love actually. Americans agree on what makes people feel the love. Now remember, we're framing this whole series on the hallways of home being a healthy place in which every member of the family feels safe and secure. And a huge part of that is every person knows who they are. They know their identity in Christ. They know that they have been endowed with this beautiful Genesis 2-7 God-breathed capacity with everything they're going to need, every virtue, every principle, every behavior, every skill and power they're going to need for the life that they're being called to lead. So they're also being given, right? We want to make sure they're give, they're being given autonomy. That they're safe and they're secure. And that they're a very vital part of the family. But we don't want to smother anyone in our family or hover or be a helicopter parent. That's asphyxiating. So in this article, she says, Americans may disagree on many things, but love might not be one of them. According to researchers, people in the U.S. largely agree about what makes them feel loved. Okay, this is our birthright. This is belonging. This is knowing we're seen, we're heard, we're visible. By God, by our parents, by our siblings, by our families, our classmates, our peers, our church congregants. And 
In this research, they came to a general consensus that it may be small gestures that matter most. In a study, researchers found, and I, I love this, that small, non-romantic gestures, like someone showing compassion or snuggling with a child, topped the list of what makes people feel loved. Well, I am gonna shout amen to that. Meanwhile, controlling behaviors. Now this would be where autonomy is not present in a relationship. Remember what autonomy is. It is that sense of being able to make psychological choices. You're not feeling pressured. You're not, um, being smothered, like I just said, you're not being controlled by others. You are well equipped and able to make your own decisions. But controlling behaviors like that, possessiveness, insecure, anxious, ambivalent, disordered attachments often have these kind of possessivenesses about them that they can't be alone. They can't uh, trust anyone. So these controlling behaviors, like someone wanting to know where they were at all times, were seen as the least loving. So I just really wanted to bring this to the table today and encourage you to think about your own most intimate relationship right now, uh, which would either be a marriage partner or someone you're dating or even relationships with um, friends. Relationships with church communities, with authority, can be very controlling. When you feel as though you're not able to make your own choices, to think your own thoughts, to use your voice and speak your mind and say what you want, that's a loss of autonomy. And it's a dangerous, slippery slope. So they continue. She quotes Heshmati, a postdoctoral research scholar who was working with Zita Orovich in Penn State's College of Health and Human Development. And they published this study in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships. And it says it gives insight into how love affects people's overall well-being. Well, that is our mojo, isn't it? We are all about living eudaimonia, a life filled with meaningfulness. Whether we feel loved or not plays an important role in how we feel from day to day. Oh, please hear this. We were curious about whether the majority of Americans could agree about what makes people feel loved on a daily basis or if it was more a personal thing. The results show that people do agree and the top scenarios came back and they weren't necessarily romantic. So it is possible for people to feel loved in simple, everyday scenarios. It doesn't have to be over the top gestures. Turn the page. The researchers recruited 495 American adults to answer a questionnaire about whether or not they thought most people would feel loved in 60, di 60 different scenarios. The situations included positive actions like being greeted by a pet, <laughs> neutral scenarios like feeling close to nature, and negative situations like someone acting possessive. 
After they gathered the data, they said, we found that behavioral actions, that's our second part of our threefold cord, behavior, healthy behavior patterns. Behavioral actions, rather than purely verbal expressions, triggered more consensus as indicators of love. For example, more people agreed that a child snuggling with them was more loving than someone simply, simply saying, I love you. You might think they would score on the same level, but people were more in agreement about loving actions and deeds, where there's more authenticity, perhaps, instead of a person just saying something. So it makes me think of the scripture in the New Testament uh, that says love in word and in deed. Love in word and deed. In American culture, it seems that controlling or possessive behaviors are the ones people do not feel loved by. Someone wants to know where you are at all times. Doesn't give you the freedom to just go do something by yourself or with a group of friends. They have to know where you are. They're tracking you on their phone. They're texting you in your time away. Those actions are not loving at all. Not at all. So I just wanted to bring this beautiful emotional interdependence conversation to us as we're talking about the hallways of our home so that we can look at all the aspects of what's going on in and going in and on inside of our homes psychologically, biologically, physically, emotionally. An emotionally intelligent couple is intimately familiar with each other's worlds. Emotionally intelligent people, yes, are really connected. They remember the major events in each other's histories. They update facts and feelings as life changes. Goodness, I've been married for almost 36 years. My husband and I are very different than we were 36 years ago, so we kind of have to do a little update, right? We know each other's goals and our worries, our hopes and our dreams. And I came across this question that really got to me, and I'm gonna leave us with this. If you don't truly know someone, how can you truly love them? Yeah, if you don't, truly know someone, how can you love them? So I'm just going to close our conversation today with a beautiful prayer that I got from a lovely prayer book that was published by Periclete Press. I'm going to leave this with you and leave you to your thoughts and to your heart work and your inner, your inner development. Asking yourself, huh? Do I find autonomy in my closest relationships? Do I offer autonomy to those in my intimate relationships and in my friendships? Do I give people space to breathe, to be independent, to fulfill their dreams, to do, to do them? Or do I smother and hover and possess 
out of my own insecurities, inferiority? That's a deep question. I know that. And if you need help figuring it out, you know right where I am. And be sure to subscribe to our Stronger Everyday community where we talk about all the things, all the feels. We are on our way to becoming our very best selves. So here's a beautiful prayer by John Henry Newman. May all I do today begin with you, Lord. Plant dreams and hopes within my soul. Revive my tired spirit. Be with me today. May all I do today continue with your help, O Lord. Be at my side and walk with me. Be my support today. May all I do today reach far and wide, Lord. My thoughts, my work, my life. Make them blessings for your kingdom. Let them go beyond today. Oh God, today is, a, is new unlike any other day. For God, you make every day different. Today, God's everyday grace falls on my soul like abundant seed, though I may hardly see it. My friend, please remember that you have value, worth, and dignity. Give yourself some love today. Give yourself some space. Take a walk. Do something that fills your love tank, fills your rest tank so that you can move through your life with more strength, more power, and more grace. See you next time. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com.